an Ironic Media production. Visit us at ironickmedia.com. All right, welcome back to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. If this podcast has been broadcasting healing vibes into your life, please follow on Apple and Spotify and leave a review. Your review helps other people find this podcast and the transformations continue. And don't forget to share this podcast with anyone you think will benefit. Let's heal together. If you are super sensitive, your oxidative stress is high and that's going to continue to increase your chances of even experiencing life as trauma. So we have to bring you back from that line of overwhelm, just from the oxidative stress, vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin E. We can even do things like the glutathione, right? Like Mm -hmm. that can help, but some people either can't tolerate that or aren't responding. So that's when I bring in the N-acetylcysteine and acetylcysteine is amazing for bringing down inflammation and that oxidative stress. And then I often bring in selenium. So selenium is something that's going to bring down the oxidative stress and also be like a stabilizing force for the mitochondria, which makes all of our energy. And from a biology standpoint, all trauma, all trauma, Amy, all trauma is an energy problem. Welcome to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. This show, I'll be sharing messages of hope, healing, and transformation. I'll teach you how to shift your mindset, conquer your fears, and become the best version of you. You'll hear incredible stories of transformation and about the extraordinary journey I've been on for well over a decade. My connection with energy is so strong, and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's get started. All right. I am so excited to introduce you to this new guest today. She is Dr. Amy Apigian, and she goes by Dr. Amy because, you know, it's easier, but I love her. I love everything she's talking about. I said, she's like a sister in the health and wellness field. We are both just helping people to overcome their trauma so they can get healthier and happier. And there's nothing better. So Dr. Amy is a double board certified medical physician in both preventative and addiction medicine and holds a double master's in biochemistry and public health. She is the leading expert in addressing stored trauma in the body through her signature model and methodology. She also has a certification in functional medicine, brings it all together and talks about the science behind trauma. As you know, on the podcast, there's one thing that's going to happen in life, and that is shit is going to happen. We're going to have experiences that are going to suck, and we need to learn how to get through them. And we need to know how to be more resilient and what are the components of what resilience really is. And so we're going to get into that. And she has an exercise she's going to teach us at the end. I'm so excited for this. You've seen me do this on the podcast, or at least you've heard me. Some some of you have seen the YouTubes where I help people to clear energy, and she teaches us a very similar thing that you can do at home. So I'm very excited. Dr. Amy, thank you for being here. I am, I've been so excited for this. First of all, also, I have to mention the day that we got in contact, I said to myself, I need to have Dr. Amy on the show and your people contacted me. And I was like, <laughs> what? I'm like, I, of course, yes, 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 yes. I want you on the podcast. Like I was like, didn't even have a chance to like write an email. Also, you have a biology of trauma summit coming up in, I think July or August. August 8 to 14. Okay, great. All right. So you're going to have lots of guest speakers on there talking about how to heal your trauma and things like that. But based on what I know to be true about trauma and helping myself heal from 30 years of chronic illness, you have the signature way of like looking at it, right? Because a lot of times in functional medicine or, or actually any kind of medicine, there's this lack of understanding that trauma is the underlying cause. So there are other things we can address like food and that can cause trauma if we're constantly eating the wrong thing or not enough nutrients and things like that. But the way you put things, I just absolutely love it. You're super smart, but you also put it in layman's terms so we can understand it, take it home and start using it and applying it. So thank you for being here. Absolutely. I'm really excited about this. I already feel like we've got enough similar energy and perspective and language. Like we even had have common language, having never even decided on that together. So I I'm really excited about this and I'm right there with you. Like the ability to have the tools to help other people at a time when I couldn't even help myself, just how meaningful that is for me to be in this position. Now it's very humbling. 
Oh, that's so beautiful. So you have your own personal experience with this being sick and adopting a child. So why don't you tell us about how you went from being so Western medicine to now incorporating this and making that leap? Cause it's not easy. And I'm sure it's even harder when you're in that field. Miguel came to me when he was four years old and he was actually the first foster child that they placed with me. I was in medical school at the time and decided that I wanted to make a difference and decided that foster parenting was a place that I could do that. And so when they placed Miguel, I had so much excitement, Amy. I had so much love. I was, I, I knew that I had what he needed in order to truly be able to rise above his past. And it wasn't that I wanted him to forget his past. It was just that I saw so much potential in him of being this incredible person with this fun personality. And it's like, I want that to shine out more. And he, he had had a rough start to life, really rough start. And yet I knew that with time and with all the love that I had for him, that he was going to rise above that. He was going to be able to know and feel that he was loved and be able to use that as the springboard for then all of his growth and blossoming into, into who he wanted to be in the world. And so when I saw that that was not happening, that moment for me came about two years into it. And I am rocking him because we're doing attachment parenting by then, Amy, right? Like I, I am surrounded by the best of the best when it comes to child therapists and psychiatrists. I'm, I'm at medical school, right? So I've got all these people around me and things had not been going well, but I was doing everything that I had been taught to do by now. He had become very, very angry at times, not all the time, but at times and he had even become unsafe with things, even like knives. There had been a time when he had tried to kill me with a knife and certainly had that intention, but, but I'm doing all the work, right? Like I'm doing all the work I've got. I'm holding the intention that time heals, time will heal. Yeah, My love love will heal. And so I'm, I'm just sitting there. I'm rocking, right? Like you just, you just rock when you, you know what you're doing, you know what you're supposed to be doing. You just kind of go on automatic mode. And so I'm there and I'm doing the work and I'm rocking in. I'm looking in those eyes, doing all the attachment things that I'm supposed to be doing, Amy. I think that this is just going to be a normal, ordinary moment of connection that we have every day because we're doing this every day. And so as I'm rocking him and I'm looking down, I'm holding him and, and he's looking back up in my eyes and he starts to, to tell me something. He's like, mommy, I'm like, yes, yes, Miguel, mommy, tomorrow I'm going to kill you. <gasps> Whoa. Not today. Not today. Tomorrow, mommy. I'm going to take a stick and poke your eyes out. Oh my God. But not today, mommy tomorrow. And for me, Amy, that was one of my lowest moments because it's like, I, I don't know what else to do, but this obviously isn't working. Mm. I've given everything that I have. I am emotionally exhausted because I've been pouring into him, pouring into him. And this is what I'm getting back. Mm-hmm. And when you have hope, you can keep going. But when you don't know what else to do, because you've tried everything that you know to try, it's a very dark place to be. And to hear from your son, right? Like, that's how you feel about me. Like, that's what you think about me. It's a real low moment. It's a very low moment. And so, It was from that moment that I learned some lessons, one lesson that I've needed to bring up several times. Then, especially as I went into my own process for working on myself was that time does not heal. And you know, this, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, this from your story and your experience, the things that happened in our life from our early childhood, even if we don't remember them, they didn't go away those experiences, our nervous system adapted to them. And at that time in order to survive Mm -hmm. and those adaptations don't go away, they stay with us. And so here I had been expecting time to help heal him and all, no, it, it wasn't healing him because time does not heal. 
time by itself does not heal. Yes, you definitely need time, but time by itself does not heal. Love does not heal. That was the second lesson I had to learn. I was overflowing with love for Miguel. From my standpoint, I could not have loved him more. I could not have wanted more of just for him to be happy. I was having to realize that for him and for most of us, (laughs) when love is what's scary for you, you're not even letting it in. Mm -hmm. So how can it heal you if you're not even letting it in? And so then as I started moving into my own healing process, a few years after that, when I had my health crash, that was one of the things that I had to look at for myself was, wait a second, like, it's actually not just my son. It's actually not just Miguel. I have patterns that I keep people out. Mm. I have patterns that have been bracing myself thinking that I'm all alone. It's all up to me. I can't really trust anybody. And I certainly can't give them my heart because I would get hurt. So I've got to hold it all together. I've got to figure this out myself. And I'm looking at these patterns and I'm like, yeah, for me, it may not look like rages and destroying my room like it is for Miguel. But for me, it looks like showing up to meetings late, leaving early, keeping people at a distance, even though I pretend to be really open to that intimacy. But there's always that point where you get to a relationship where it's like, okay, and and that feels a little scary for them to know that about me. Mm -hmm. Let me, let me just show them this side of me. (laughs) And what happened is that I'm, I'm realizing that there's, there's something else, right? Because you need time and you need love. It's not, you can't heal without either of those, but there's more to it. And the more to it is the actual biology of the nervous system. And the nervous system has to be able to undergo what we call positive neuroplasticity in order to change. And if on a cellular level, it is not able to move into positive neuroplasticity. It does not matter how much time. It does not matter how much love. It does not matter how much therapy. Your nervous system is literally stuck on a cellular level in a stress or survival trauma response. So I've got to go figure out, all right, kiddo, what's keeping your nervous system stuck? Because you've got all of this other stuff. You've got all the best of therapies. You've got my love. You've got time. You've, you've got it all. What's keeping your biology stuck in your trauma? Because I'd love to see you rise above that, Mm -hmm. not to forget it, but to be able to honor it and to do better because of that. And same thing then for myself, moving into that space for myself was like when I started to have my health symptoms that because of my excellent medical training, I knew were exactly related to adverse childhood experiences. And yet I'm looking at that, Amy, and I'm like, that's not me. If I took my ACE score super low. So why am I having all of these diseases that those people are getting? Something doesn't make sense to my brain. Oh, that's where I figured out. It's really not about the event has nothing to do with the events. It has everything to do with the nervous system and what it needed to adapt to in order to survive. And the dysregulation that comes out of those adaptations that were helpful in the moment. And that's why we get to honor whatever we have been through, whether we remember it or not, we survived. Like, let's just take a moment and recognize, damn, I survived that. Mm -hmm. That was hard. And I actually survived. And now how can I support the biology of my nervous system that adapted to survive, but now I can help it to adapt for positive neuroplasticity for my best health and my best self now. So that's where I came up with the biology of trauma. (laughs) Everything that you say is so true and so important because first and foremost, when you talked about not being able to receive love, I remember when I was working in the inner city schools and I kept loving on them and then they weren't accepting it. They thought I was dangerous. They thought I was a cop. They thought I was going to rat them out. They would try to really hurt me. And so I took it personally at first. And then I realized, uh, thank God I had a, a, an elder teacher that came to me. He was like, it is not personal, Amy. And I was like a huge mind shift there. Like, 
Oh, okay. So I, I clearly get that, like that whole not letting love in, but also what I learned through helping so many people to transform their lives and their health is that that idea of not only are you keeping people out, but you're keeping yourself in, which is even sadder, I think. I mean, because you, when you really can't let that love in, you can't thrive and grow, you're really just decaying on the inside. And that's the sympathetic nervous system. And, and I love the fact that you are addressing these traumas from childhood and saying like, you did the right thing then, we adapted, we survived, that's great. But now that we're older, we have more tools, we have more resources, we have more wisdom, and now we can apply that. So we do have to real recognize that it was a good thing then, and now we need to make a new choice or a new set of neural networks that is going to see the world differently. You make this distinction between trauma actually being about an experience versus an event. And I also love that you di differentiate between the idea of like, yes, we, sometimes we have these major events like a divorce or a car accident or something like that. But we also have these little signals that we get from our environment about not being able to make a mistake. There's some people, cause I, I will work with them and I'll be like, you have trauma. And they're like, no, I don't. And I'm like, no, 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 you really do. It's like little trauma over time. So please talk about that. You've hit the, the nail on the head because it really is all about the experience. And then when we see it as our experience of something, it can be the experience of spilling coffee on ourselves in the morning, or it can be the experience of going through a major car accident on the way to work. It's the experience. It's not the event. And when I am in a place of overwhelm and I've got all these stories in my head and I'm late and I'm rushing out the door and I'm a perfectionist and everything is about how I look. And then I spill the coffee on myself, the inner shame, the critic, the, the judgment that I am, my body is going to experience all of those. And yet it's just spilling coffee on myself. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be that big of a deal. Right. But to us, if that is part of our history, if that's part of our story, you will notice in your body, there are definite in the moment changes and sensations that happen in your body that will tell you you're, you just went into your trauma place and you can feel it. It's like this collapse. You want to, you want to hug your knees up. You want to protect your belly. And there's biological reasons for that. Like that's not just emotional. There are very specific reasons of why you would want to protect that area of your body. Your spine collapses. And so then you notice that your head feels really heavy and everything feels really heavy, in fact, and yet you get to work, right? And you put the fake smile on your face and you pretend that everything's fine. And yet what's your experience of that? Well, now you're creating an experience where you feel misunderstood because no one understands you because you're putting on the fake smile, right? Mm -hmm. So you're, you're actually just further deepening yourself into this daily experience of trauma. And so- I would love for people to move away from seeing trauma as these big isolated events in their life, because we can look at those and we can kind of do a scan of our life and be like, yeah, I don't, I haven't had trauma. And yet let me just see your daily life. And the, it's the patterns in your daily life today that will actually tell me whether you have stored trauma in your body and in your nervous system. And it's how your nervous system is navigating your today. It's not about your past. It's about your today. And as we can recognize those trauma patterns that got in there and they're showing up today because they're, those are adaptations that continue, they stay, then that's where we get to start working. We don't have to go digging into the past. We don't have to open boxes that feel too scary for us to open right now. We just get to work with what's showing up for you right now, today in your nervous system. And mm -hmm. let's start with that. And that's where I love the energy work that you do, right? Because that is so much about right now in this moment, let's shift this energy that is keeping us in this experience of trauma right now. Well, thank you for saying that. It's great to hear a doctor recognize the value of energy work. Here's the thing. So in, in my own household, like I experienced a lot of tra childhood trauma. I had specific events like breaking my back and others holding my breath and passing out because somebody was bullying me when I was a child frequently. 
I have events, right? So anybody could look at me and be like, yeah, yeah, she has trauma. But then you look at my wife, for instance, and she's going to kill me because she listens. She has certain things that she does. And so in her life was amazing. Like she, her parents, super supportive and everything, but there are little things that she picked up that she coped. So like even coming downstairs to do this podcast, like my son was asking for yogurt and berries. And I was like, Hey, did you eat them? Because he was saving them or whatever. I was saving them for him. And she's like, yeah, I ate them because I didn't want them to go bad. I'm like, yeah, because of the great depression. And like, <laughs> cause she's got that energy in her, in her lineage. And like, we joke back and forth. She's like, yeah, the food police is going to come, which is like me. I am the food police. Like, I don't like things to, to be around too long. I just, cause I try to have maximum health, right. And vitality. So anyway, we joke about the trauma because we understand that it, it we experience it. And there, if you have no judgment around it and you can be playful with it. And, 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 and I know that's an extreme for some, like, but you just recognize and you're like, okay, let's deal with this. Or even just recognizing the fact that she ate the berries because I know her, her mom went through the great depression and that's what she does. She saves everything. So when we want to move forward with our health, we need to address this piece of us because it can be running in the background silently. And that was my big aha moment. So I was doing all the supplements and I was exercising and I was detoxing and I was meditating and all this stuff. And then I was like, wait a second. If my body is in fight or flight, I'm not absorbing these nutrients. I'm not gaining the benefits that I could be gaining. I was doing the organic diet, everything. And that's when I was like, whoa, we really need to go real deep with this trauma and release this so that I don't have these little hijacks all throughout the day, keeping me from optimal health and wellness. And I think you'll probably appreciate this. So I had 30 years of chronic illness. I got better. It wasn't like I was better overnight. And I recently had my DNA sequenced and they looked at my immune system and I have the immune system of a 28 year old and I'm 42. Congratulations. Isn't that awesome? So that, so that that's awesome. another piece that we should talk about how yes. our brain, when we are in childhood, we develop these programs and then it changes who we are as an adult. Like we have more addictions and chronic illness and mental illness. So can you talk more about that and what we can do to maybe change that? Yes. I mean, I'm so happy that we're going down this conversation because in looking at the connection between one's childhood, the connection with the immune system is so closely intertwined. And so everything that happens in our childhood actually shows up in our immune system. The immune system is almost like a, a map to our past. And so the hope though, is that look at what you've done with your immune system coming out of your childhood. And you did like you had, you had those symptoms as a result of the adaptations of your nervous system that then it made those changes to your immune system, but they are reversible. Like we can actually reverse engineer this stuff. You're not stuck with it. Like I think many people have thought that is true as we work with the adverse childhood experiences. And we're trying to bring that more into not only awareness, but actually into the conversation with one's medical provider being able to know that we have tools that can change that. It's not a, it's not a diagnosis, right? Like it's not like, oh, you have adverse childhood experiences and look at the symptoms that you're having that makes sense. And then leaving it there, right? Like <laughs> it's like, no, and let's take that conversation to the next step. Let's not leave people in that place where it's like, oh yes, I understand. Right. I, I feel like that's kind of like the sympathy thing, right? It's like, I understand. And I am right there with you. Mm -hmm. And then, and then here's then like some drugs to medicate the things that are going wrong. <laughs> right. Right. And then let's put a bandaid on that. Right. Because yeah. that's, that's the best that you can do, honey. You've had a hard life. This is kind of what you can expect for your future. <laughs> oh, hang in there. And so when we look at the immune systems, I actually teach this in my certification course for practitioners. We have a whole module on the immune system caught in a biology of trauma, because there are definite patterns, very predictable that can come out of this. And one of them is autoimmunity and what has been, ah, I want to, I want to use the word scary, but I'm not sure if that's the right word, but I also don't want to get hung up on words. So I'm going to just keep moving <laughs> is the change in patterns in autoimmunity in the country and across the world. And people are getting autoimmune conditions younger and younger. 
they're looking at huge increases in autoimmunity in teenagers. And this used to be something that hit you in your thirties. And that was, that was the pattern. And they discovered that, wait a second, adverse childhood experiences and then autoimmunity in your thirties. And some of that was around like, oh, is this around psychology? And there certainly is that connection because if you've had certain childhood experiences, not events, experiences, then you have a certain belief system about yourself. And boy, that would be a great topic for us to dive deeper into, Amy. We can actually look at specific belief systems that you would have if you had an attachment break and disruption or dysregulation in your nervous system from zero to six months of life versus six to 18 months of life. They are actually very different belief systems about yourself. And then we look at 18 to 36 months of life. And if the, the dysregulation started in your nervous system at that time, it's a different set of belief systems that you have about yourself. And we can talk about how to actually rewire those. I, I, it's like reorganizing the nervous system. And so it's, it's very understandable how the nervous system gets impacted when there's dysregulation that starts in the nervous system at these ages. Another really cool thing, Amy, is that there's a condition in our biology that's called pyroluria or pyrol disorder. Hmm. And when I looked at the common traits of that, of that disorder, it's a genetic disorder. And so it, it, it can start fairly young. And what it does is it just causes a functional deficiency of zinc and vitamin B6, which otherwise wouldn't be a problem, except that those two are actually really important for the nervous system totally, (laughs) and for neurotransmitters, the B6, especially, but Mm -hmm. the zinc and B6 stabilize your nervous system. And so by having a functional deficiency in those, your nervous system is more raw. And so people, I was looking at the traits I'm over here on my functional medicine side, Amy, right? Like, it's like I bridge these two worlds of trauma therapy and functional medicine. And I'm looking over here and I'm seeing the common traits of pyro disorder and how so many of them are sensory. These people are very sensitive to bright lights. They are more sensitive to chemicals. These people have more of the food sensitivities, even to different soaps or dyes, like everything. Their system is just so sensitive. And then I'm looking over here at the trauma therapy side of things. And I'm saying like, wait a second, because I see that sensitivity over here. I also see that sensitivity in the immune system. Could it be that they're all related and come to find out that the belief systems that a person would have when the pyroluria would be starting to affect their nervous system are all happening at the same time, which is when the midbrain is organizing. And if your midbrain section in your brainstem was organized in such a way that it's not getting the sensory information correctly from your environment, then it's going to be in constant overwhelm. Well, if you're in constant overwhelm and that's going to be between the months, usually around like 12 months to 18 months, if you're in constant overwhelm because of your sensory environment, you're already going to start to go into the freeze response. Like you're going to start bracing. You're going to start, we call it the thoracic inlet here. You're going to start having your shoulders up and these bracing patterns in your muscles, in your fascia, because that's your way of cutting off the vagus nerve and the body sensations that are coming up from your body through the vagus nerve to your brainstem. And it's like, no, it's uncomfortable. Like feels like everything is, is on fire. It's, it's way too much. And so I need to cut that off because it's too intense. And so then we start to have bracing patterns and the freeze response and sensory overwhelm. And then that shows up in the immune system. And so that the pyroluria is associated with higher autoimmunity in adulthood. And it's like, well, yeah, because this is all part of the nervous system dysregulation that started at that age. Whereas if you look at dysregulation at zero to six months, that is not associated with autoimmunity later in life. It's the midbrain section. So it's just completely fascinating how, when we dig deeper into all of this, it so starts to make sense on a cellular level. And it gives us tools out of it so that someone who is diagnosed with an autoimmune condition. And of course we haven't even talked about all the other immune patterns, but just with that, it's like, no, and we can go back and we can actually reorganize the development of your midbrain. 
I'm going to need you to get on the floor. I'm going to need you to do some, some patterns and some reflexes that you would have done at that time of your life. That's part of the reorganization. And then we need to look at this pyro disorder because we need to be giving you not only supplements now, but that would have caused increased oxidative stress, which would have accumulated over time and caused a lot of other symptoms and diseases. We want to either prevent those if they haven't developed yet, or that's how we address them if it's already there. And so it's just so fascinating when we can pull all of these pieces and just have a different framework for understanding the human body and how it's all interconnected and how our past is showing up in our health. And there's no, there's no way around it. We can't, we can't separate that. And, and kind of going back to how you led us into this place how much of that is part of your psychology? I don't know, right? Because we're talking about biology. And yet, if you have pyro disorder that then led to the sensory overwhelm, that then led to the freeze response, that then led to the bracing, that's going to show up in your psychology. And you're going to have those thoughts of, I've got to hold the weight of the world on my shoulders, right? Like everything's on my on my shoulders. I've got to do everything. I can't show that I'm weak. I can't show that I need somebody that's going to become our psychology. And yet what has happened, I think, is that some people have just made that connection between the psychology and the disease, not realizing that in the middle of all of that is this whole biology piece that actually is the fuel for both the psychology and the physical health symptoms. I don't know. I feel like I've been talking your ear off. You're blowing my mind. No, you could go on forever. This is amazing. I mean, so I, it, Everything that you're saying, I'm like, yep, I I've seen that when I'm working with clients, like the addition of a second child around two years of age, right. Causes the, this different attachment and not getting the same amount of attention. Like, and I was even reviewing my own life while you were talking, because I have some of these things, obviously that I've been working through my whole life. I mean, gosh, you have so much wisdom there. It's just crazy. So the super sensitive people, obviously, most of the people who are listening to my podcast are super sensitive people, myself included. I know that the B6 and the zinc is really important. And the oxidative stress, Amy, I want you on, I want you on strong, powerful antioxidants. Okay. So tell us which ones we should be on. (laughs) Okay. So I'll give you the, the short list. Yes. Vitamin A, vitamin E. I definitely want people on vitamin C and I'm going to say the ideal spot should be between 2000 and 5,000 milligrams of vitamin C every day. You can spread it throughout the day if you don't want to take it all at once, but we're talking about if you are super sensitive, your oxidative stress is high and that's going to continue to increase your chances of even experiencing life as trauma. So we have to bring you back from that line of overwhelm, just from the oxidative stress, vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin E, and then you, we can even do things like the glutathione, right? Like Mm -hmm. that can help, but some people either can't tolerate that or aren't responding. So that's when I bring in the N-acetylcysteine and acetylcysteine is amazing for bringing down inflammation and that oxidative stress. And then I often bring in selenium. So selenium is something that's going to bring down the oxidative stress and also be like a stabilizing force for the mitochondria, which makes all of our energy. And from a biology standpoint, all trauma, all trauma, Amy, all trauma is an energy problem. So we also do a pretty big focus on the mitochondria and what our drains for the mitochondria, what are causing compromises to the mitochondria and how we can shift that. And that is huge. So I hope that you're also looking at NAD. I hope that you're also looking at the combination of CoQ10 and PQQ and all of those things. But knowing you, Amy, I'm going to also, I suspect that you are also an undermethylator. Oh yeah. I wanted you to talk about that. Yes. I I'm already aware of that. And I know okay. that I need the B's and the C's and the glutathione and not and folate. Also I don't, I don't want you on folate though. No, no, folate, no, no, no. Folate for an undermethylator will make depression and anxiety worse. Hmm. I haven't heard that. I know many so, people haven't. So wait a hold on a second. Uh, so not folic acid, obviously I know that. So any form folate, any so form. don't take folic folate. acid, folate, methylfolate, for an undermethylator, that's one of the worst things that you can take. What, what do we do then? <laughs> well, first of all, we need to confirm that you are an undermethylator. So that is different than just checking your methylation status. So it's not enough to check MTHFR. It's oh, not okay. enough to check those genes. Like we need to actually check your methylation status 
And there's a couple different ways that we can do that, but here's why it's important. Methylation is going to influence your gene expression. So this is epigenetic. So it's something that just like the pyro you're going to be born with. However, what's different is that for a baby, they steal, they rob and they steal Amy, right? Like they steal all of the nutrients from mom. They don't, they don't care about mom's nutrients. Like they, they just consume it all so that when they are born, their tank is full. Mm-hmm. So they've got all the zinc and B6 that they need. They're good. And that's why the pyral disorder is not going to show up until year one, when those mom's sources are depleted enough that now it's going to show up. So what would show up earlier in life in that zero to six months of life, where we would have those belief systems and those insecurities is the methylation status. And so for under methylators, not for everyone, but for many of them, one of the genes that it affects is the serotonin and dopamine receptors. So for those of you who know much about attachment, right, we go very deep into this in my certification course. So this is something that, that you would be so knowledgeable about by the time you're done with that, that you could, you could talk about this with your eyes closed probably, but that serotonin and dopamine is essential for forming a healthy, secure attachment. Mm-hmm. A baby will not form an attach a healthy, secure attachment if they themselves are low in serotonin and dopamine. They could have the best mom and the best attachment and the best of everything. But if their system is not available for the attachment, attachment requires both systems to be available. So much we put all the focus on the mom and we forget that, hey, like is baby's system actually available for the attachment? Undermethylation is going to be one of those circumstances in which it is not fully available because it's going to, the undermethylation causes low serotonin and low dopamine activity. Dopamine and oxytocin are your primary neurohormones for attachment. So this is why the methylation is so super important. And a, one of the most common biochemical imbalances that I see in people who have chronic stress and store trauma in their body. And So what we need to look at is how do we test that then? If a person is on a mood medication for the anxiety and for the depression, right? That is a result oftentimes of the undermethylation, then we need to do a test that just looks at the whole methylation cycle. So we're actually going to look at the, it's like S methionine, and then how it converts it. It gives a methyl group that sends it over to the DNA. And then it drops down into S homocysteine, which converts to homocysteine and then back up. So you have this cycle. That's what the, the methylation cycle is. We need to actually look at that cycle to know the overall status. One gene does not determine your status because the body has mechanisms to adapt to one gene being off. And so there's many people who have a SNP in that MTHFR and they actually are fine because the body can work around it. It's got, that's, it's designed to do that. It has so many other genes that it can use to do that. So we want to, we need to look at the whole status and that's one way to that we can look at under methylation status. If they're not on a mood medication that lowers histamine, then we can actually use whole blood histamine as a marker, as a marker, as an indirect marker for the methylation status. And so that was a piece for me in, in, in my journey was doing those lab tests, recognizing that I am a very strong undermethylator, very strong undermethylator, Amy. When I saw my numbers, I'm like, wow, I have so much more compassion for what I have gone through in life. Now knowing that this was the biology that I was fighting against in order to get all that stuff done, knowing that it allows me to bring in the tools though, because now I know how to support my methylation status. I know that I should not take folate because that will actually further decrease the serotonin activity and drive someone even further into depression and anxiety. I did the Dutch hormone test and yeah. I was pretty surprised to see that my methylation was, was great. Yeah. In fact, the person looking at it was like, wait, do you not have the MTHFR? I'm like, no, 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 I do. So there you go. That might be a reason right there. It's so, not about the MTHFR gene. Yeah. Yeah. You I know, was like, the something I turned on. <laughs> epigenetically. Interesting. So also I wanted to just share with you from the energetic perspective, because I think you'd enjoy this. When I was working with people with Parkinson's and I was studying signature, energetic signature, really their field was so permeable. So it was so scattered. 
that's why I always talk about tools to increase our energetic field because it actually does change how you pick up other people's energy and information and how you have more energy for yourself. On a biology level, Amy, what often happens is that that permeability of their force of their field is because they are in a chronic freeze response and literally don't have the energy to uphold any kind of energetic boundary. They're, they're in the freeze. They're in the collapse. They're in an energy conservation state. And so their body is literally just doing the bare minimum to get through the day. They're not, it's not going to do any extra. So on a biological level, that, that is what creates the permeability of their energy force. I love it. (laughs) It's awesome talking to you. So I'm curious because a lot of times I see stuff prenatally that will come up. So I know you talked about the zero to six, six to 18, 18 of whatever, 36. Tell us about prenatally, like, cause I know that a lot of autoimmune also can come from this like idea that the mom wasn't either ready to be pregnant, was shunned because she was pregnant, wasn't married, whatever hid because she didn't want to get big. Like there's a lot of that energy there that is contributing to autoimmune. <laughs> See, I told you this is going to be so fun. I was really excited to talk to you. I like forever. And, and spirit also organized this. They were like, get Amy on the show. And I was like, okay. Yep. Yep. This was our time, Amy. This was our time. Yeah. So there is so much more that I want to lean into when it comes to in utero experiences and early infancy. So I'm going to share with you what I know so far, but just know like this is, this is the area that I am digging deeper into myself right now and, and going, leaning into studying. So what we do know is that there are factors that happen in utero that cause priming of microglia, big science word. Yep. I know. So let me explain what that is. Microglia are cells in the nervous system. And so you can say cells in the brain as well, because the brain is part of our nervous system. It's the central nervous system. And those microglia are the, I mean, they do everything. You think that the neurons, the actual nerve cells are, are the ones that are doing the work. No, no, no. Like it's, it's the, It's the microglia that are doing everything to protect the neurons. So they're cleaning out the debris. They are also the ones that are responsible for neuroplasticity. It's not the neurons themselves. Mm -hmm. It's all of these guardian cells, protector cells around the nerve cells that are doing all of this work. So what happens is that they are part of the immune system. You ready for this? So what happens is that there are priming events that can happen in a person's life. And a priming event is any event that is an insult or a shock to those cells that permanently changes them. And they go from being this sweet grandma gardening, pruning to this, (laughs) to this, like I'm in the military and I'm like actively looking for danger and I'm going to shoot at anything that moves because I'm quite sure that it's dangerous. Wow a sniper, like you can call it, they turn into snipers. So grandma sniper, (laughs) grandma to sniper. That's a priming event. So what happens is that these cells then have a choice to either be in the activated state where they are actively just unleashing exorbitant amounts of inflammation and cytokines because they sense danger, or they can be in what's called a resting state where they're, they're doing their pruning job. They're still on high alert, but they're not actively shooting at people. So what happens then is that in utero, there can be a priming event. Most times we have seen priming events is anytime that you've had a a head injury, a concussion, a whiplash, or anytime that you may have had low oxygen to your brain, anytime that you may have a long period of time with no blood supply or even low glucose and didn't have enough ketones. So it's not like you had switched over to ketosis. Those types of things would have been such stress that it would have primed those microglia. But what we're finding out is that that can happen in utero. And anytime that there would be drug exposure, But here's the thing, Amy, high cortisol is a neurotoxin for an in utero infant. So a mom who is under high stress, her stress hormones, her cortisol levels 
are at adult levels, right? But for a baby, that's going to be a neurotoxin. And so just that stress that she is under can be a priming event and a baby can be born having this predisposition to these types of changes that are not, again, like these are the immune cells in the nervous system. And so what happens is that now, anytime that there is a minor stress, those cells get activated. This can be a night of poor sleep. This can be eating a food that you have a sensitivity to. This can be, if you're, if you're, if you are sensitive, it can be sensory overwhelm that can cause a activation of microglia that are already primed. And so now you're in this constant cycling back and forth between those symptoms that can cause fatigue and brain fog. And sometimes you notice that your, your balance is just a little off or you run into the wall instead of hitting the stairs, <laughs> like just, <laughs> just things you're like, where is my brain today? Oh yeah. It's in that activated state. And so that would be one of the triggers and the reasons and the connection then to the autoimmunity is the connection that those are cells in the immune system and are going to be triggering and communicating between that and the gut. And so when you've got inflammation in the brain like that, that's going to travel down the vagus nerve. You're going to have inflammation in the gut and inflammation in the gut is one of those necessary conditions for all autoimmune conditions. Mm -hmm. And so there you have it, right? Like there's your source of gut inflammation and your connection to autoimmunity from an in utero experience of your mom being under stress. So interesting. And it made me think of kids with autism that I've worked with. Yes. I've seen frequently where a, they come into the world very fast or under a lot of trauma. Yes. And then they literally tell me that they're, they feel unsafe in the world and we have to reprogram that. And then they start to get into their body. Then they start to talk, then they start to love, then they start to realize, oh, that's why I have a little brother and how I'm supposed to be with that little brother. It's so interesting. Just this whole connection is just what I've seen. And then you're talking about, it. I love it. It's so cool. We could talk forever. I just want to make sure <laughs> that we, we do this exercise because I did promise everybody that we would. Maybe we can have you back one other time and we could talk about more of this stuff because we could definitely dive deeper. And I love that you're still doing research and it's so needed and, and so helpful for anybody on the healing journey or health journey, I should say. So can you share this exercise that we can do the like reset in the moment? Yeah. So Amy asked me to share the push away exercise. So I've given it that name because that's simply what we're going to be doing. Like it, it just, it feels like you're going to be pushing away a rock. And so I like for people to imagine this huge boulder in front of you. You don't need to put a name to the boulder. You don't need to put a face to the boulder. (laughs) It can just be a boulder. (laughs) And then what we're going to do is we're going to go really slow. We're going to go really slow. If you think you're going slow, I want you to go even slower. Mm. And the idea is that you're putting so much intention into the movement that it allows your body to actually experience, I am pushing away. And it's not the pushing away. It's the creating of space, Amy. And when we'll, when we do it, I'll be curious to, to see what happens. And certainly as your audience does it, I would love for them to kind of message you or however you like to communicate with them, like what their response was in their body to literally creating space. And this is so much of what you do with your energy work, right? Like it's just creating some space, creating right. some space. pulling so, out the field. Yeah, exactly. Space. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So what I do is I just start with holding my hands as close to my shoulders as possible. And then I would love people. There's a million different ways to do this, right? But you need to really push into this rock. So whether you've got your back supported, whether you're sitting straight on your hips or whether sometimes, sometimes I'll do this standing up, Amy, if I really need to get some, some good space that I need to create for myself and I'll get some, some firm grounding underneath me, like even bend my knees a little bit. So I'm really into this, but however you want to be. And then you just start slowly pushing away. But I mean, pushing Amy, like this is a huge boulder huge. Like it's bigger than you. And you're just going to push all the way out, all the way out as slow as you can. And like, I want you to feel your muscles engaging. I want you to like, right. Feel all that. And when you get there, actually, Amy, I would love for you to just hold your hands there. (laughs) Yeah. I I started releasing like a duck. (laughs) I know. I saw that. 
And there's a deep breath for me. That's what happens when I yeah. create that space. Yeah. yeah. What did you notice? I noticed because I did this before a deep breath. I also mm-hmm. just this time had the whole nervous system reset. That's what I do yeah. is like, I shake it off. It was really hard when I first started doing my work with yeah. the, the energy work. I would constantly be doing this yes. shake to release yep. the, the yep. energy in the nervous system. I think that's so great. And it really echoes what I've seen helping people to remove a heart wall. So it helps with that. And then also extending the field. I always tell people that it's important that they have enough space to circulate their energy. Right. And you had talked about this in the beginning, and I wanted to tell you what spirit had designed this talk to be around, which was being checked out of our emotions keeps us from being in our heart space. And so the way that I originally started getting this communication from spirit was the chakras would be upside down. And that was showing me the collapse. And I actually joked, one of my clients thought it was hilarious that I said, it's really like your head is up your ass. I mean, (laughs) but your head is right down there. You collapse and your field is shrunk. So when we feel safe, we expand and we are ready to receive and we can circulate the things that we need to circulate. So Amy, thank you so much. Is there any way that if we're not a practitioner technically like a doctor, can we take your course? You have the biology of trauma summit. I want you to talk about that. And also tell us where we can find out more about you. People can, can come and work with me and that's, they don't need to be a practitioner. I do train practitioners around the world. They actually, I'm letting other people into those courses so that if they want to know that information that I'm teaching practitioners, they can have that course. There is the 21 day journey where I walk people through 21 days into their nervous system, doing somatic work. So that includes somatic experiencing neuroaffective touch and kind of bringing in this biology piece so that they understand what's happening on a biology level when this kind of stuff happens. And I, speaking of energy, Amy, I think that the next time that we speak, I should teach you the marking my territory exercise that I teach in my 21 day journey. Okay. Sounds good. Yes. Yes. You need to know that one for energy stuff. So, and then we've got the biology of trauma summit. So this is where I have interviewed Oh, over 40, over 40 experts. We have Dr. Peter Levine, Dr. Gabor Mate, Stephen Porges, Ariel Schwartz. We have Dr. Vincent Folletti, who is the founder of the ACE study. It's going to be a deep dive. And this year's focus is going beyond the diagnosis. Mm. So it's like, all right, yeah, we're here. And what's underneath it so that we can map our way out of this and get back to our best health and our best self. It's amazing. Well, tell us also you're on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Amy. Yes. And your website is trauma, trauma accelerated. Exactly. Yeah. It's so wonderful to talk to you. And I thank you for doing all the work that you're doing in the field and the research and sharing the information and interviewing guests for your summit. I mean, I know that you're sharing a wealth of knowledge and helping people to heal is just, it's beautiful work on this planet. So thank and you. I'm so happy to have you as a sister on this journey with me. Yes. yes. <laughs> cool. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Content provided by Amy Stark and or her guests on the Stark Transformation Show, website or other platforms, including text, images, audio or other formats, are created for informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of a physician or qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition. Amy Stark is not a doctor or a therapist.